0: Choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, and they're still kin to you no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And what makes you look right silly is when you don't acknowledge them. And there's truth to that statement. Uh, We can choose our friends, but oftentimes our our family, um, we we get right. There's there's no vote. Oftentimes there's oftentimes not a a, a opinion being able to give being being able to be given uh, that reflects that. And I I went through that a few weeks ago. Um, Two weeks ago yesterday, um, the uh, local FCA group sponsors a half marathon at the lake. Um, They call it the Bridge and Dam Half Marathon, and... uh I like to run in that. Um, I get slower as the years go by, uh, but I enjoyed running that. And um, they, they start you, if you go up down to the lake, there's that airman lookout way up on top of the hill, and you run down the hill, and you run across the dam, and you run up the strip, and you run across the toll bridge, and you run back into Port all back in there. There's neighborhoods back in there. And it's a great run, but if you remember that day, it was, it was really wet. It rained all night long, and it was really cold that day. And so my, one of my children, who will go unnamed um, in this uh, illustration, uh, decided that uh, this child would like to run the 5K version of that, which just kind of just starts at the top of the hill, runs up the strip a little bit, and turns, turns back around. And so the race started at very similar times, and, and I, I thought, okay, that's fine. I, I gave this child specific instructions that, that we parked our van... The half mile or so up the strip. Uh, I showed him where I hid the keys, said if he's done, because it was wet and cold, I thought when you're done, you're gonna be done a long time before me. Go back to my van. You can turn it on, do whatever you need to do to stay warm. And mom, who was at another kid's event, will be there pretty soon to pick you up. And so uh, said child did t- such a thing. Uh, this child finished their race and uh, got back to the van, uh, turned the van on to warm up because he was, sorry, this child was really wet. And so um, the the child warmed the child self up, and uh, and then he, I'll just say he, and so then he proceeded to stay warm, and then mom came to pick him up. And so in the meantime... He's been sitting there for half an hour, 45 minutes or so. I'm out in the race, and the race was a really nice... It didn't turn out you're running, your, your body's producing heat, so you're not really cold until you come back out of like Porto Chima and you go up the toll bridge. That's a, lot, it's a pretty steep hill, and there was a big, strong north wind. It was really starting to get really cold then. And so I'm on that bridge. I'm about to die. It's cold. I'm frustrated anxious to be done. And I get this text message that pops up on my phone that as I'm running along, this is the text message I get from said child says, most of my stuff is still in your van, including my metal, and I think I left it running, um, which means the van is still running. He had been picked up, and by our math, my van sit on the strip at the Lake of the Ozarks for an hour and 15 minutes, running by itself. Um, so I, uh, I, that, I don't know, that didn't really help my mood as I was running up the hill thinking, I don't know if it's still there, maybe somebody's out joyriding, I don't know who's going to steal my old Honda van, but it's gone, maybe it's gone, Well, I had to run by it on the way to the finish line, so I stopped and quickly turned the key off, but it was nice and toasty and warm in there, and went back and finished the race, and, and all was well. And I, I love the last comment, when I screenshot, I forgot that this part was it a part that says, Mom said you called me a name, and I did, and so that was, that was true, and that stays within the family, that's... Uh, what name that, he was, that this child was called, okay? And so um, family uh, can sometimes... So we're gonna take a uh, collection today for gas because uh, I'm low. And so, uh, so anyway, it was actually, it, w- it was a funny thing. But, but things happen, right? When you put people together and you make them have to stay together for a long time, things happen along the way. And sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're struggle. Sometimes they're hard. And that's true in your family. And yet God comes along and the, the one image um, that as we kind of finish our look at this book of First Thessalonians that God continues to use over and over in, through Paul's letter is family language, right? Remember back in chapter 2 when Paul says, I was like a father to you. Also in chapter 2, I was like a mother to you. And in the text we're going to read today, at least five times, he's going to refer to them as brothers and sisters. There's this family relationship that he uses to say, this is what God's intent for the church is to be like. And so, just like that brings some really good things, as Tim was talking about, I appreciated his words today. That oftentimes that brings a lot of really good things into our life, but sometimes that brings some frustrating, hard things that we have to work through and uh, ask God to help us through as well. And so, we're going to read the end of uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonian Christians here in just a second. Um, and as we do so, I just want you to listen um, to the words that Paul gives them. Because we're going to draw out four um, applications, four words of guidance that Paul leaves for us, I think, as we leave this letter behind, that I think can help us as we strive to be the best family we can be for God. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 5, it's on the back of your outline. If you want to read it there, open your Bible, that would be an awesome thing even yet. Or you can look at it along with the screen here with me, okay? Chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, there's the family language again, right? To acknowledge or to respect or to know those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, there's that family language again, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And so may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, May your whole body, excuse me, your your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Four pieces of advice that we're going to draw out of this text today that, that I think are helpful to us. And I, and I think the, the, the key part of this that I would just say at the beginning is that as you look at this list of things that help us to treat one another better, two of them have a lot to do with how we treat each other, but two of them very, very much tap into well, where do I find the resources to do this well? Well, it comes from this. And so um, I, I, as we walk through this list, the four pieces of advice, and I'm thankful for a pastor by the name of Bill Kynes, who a couple of years ago wrote an article that's kind of just talking about this passage, and his words were better than anything I had. So I just kind of leaned on his, his, his outline and his wording of this, and I really appreciated it, and I think it helped me, and hope it will help you too. Uh, it says this. Here's the four things. I'll just give them to you up front here, and we're going to walk through each one of them. Verses 12 through 13 is about respect the leaders who guide you. Verses 14 through 15 is about love the stragglers who need you. Verses 16 through 18 is rejoice in the Lord who loves you. And, numbers, and verses 19 through 22 is depend on the spirit that empowers you. So if you didn't get to all that, we're going to walk through those one by one here. Let's start with the first one. Paul begins in verses 12 and 13 with that phrase, respect the leaders who guide you. And so Paul comes and And he gives them encouragement to say, hey, part of a good church, if you're going to have a good strong community there in Thessalonica, there needs to be this relationship between those who lead and those who follow. And it needs to be a healthy one. And in every good family, there is a respect for authority, but there's also the good things the authority is doing and, and there's a respect and that cycle produces really good fruit in the course of a family. And that's true in church as well. And that word that he uses, if you look at verses 12 and 13, he says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge. That little word, acknowledge, is some of your Bible translations may use the word respect. Some may use the word no. It's really just the idea, just, hey, look around you. Who are those people? Because they're doing a hard job. And they need you to encourage them, to pray for them, to help them do their job well. And so the recognize, to respect, to the honor is the, is the tone of that word. And so if you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, we don't know all of the names of who Paul was talking about, uh, but when Paul was taking a, a trip and delivering some money to the church in Jerusalem, there were two men, Aristarchus and uh, Secundus, who were leaders from the church in Thessalonica, and uh, he, they went with Paul. So men like this who would have served well, who, who loved the Lord, who loved the church, and were striving to help the church be what God wants it to be. And so Paul says there are three things in this text that, that as you look through there, three things he says, he, this, is, this is why they, they deserve you seeing them and noticing them and, and encouraging them in their work. And, and the first thing is the word labor, they're working hard among you, uh, who care for you and the Lord, excuse me, for the, acknowledge those who work hard among you. Uh, that part of being a good leader is, is working hard for God and his people. And it's not easy trying to lead and wrestle, not just with God and his word, but also wrestling with, with God and, and the p- problems that come as you try to help people in life. It's a very noble calling. And, and so Paul says, hey, don't take that for granted uh, when, when, the, when these folks are doing that. So he says they're, they're laboring. There's also this idea of leadership, who care for you and the Lord. That phrase is, is not a dictatorial phrase. They're, they're just pounding on the pulpit saying, this is exactly what you're gonna do. But it's very much if you read Paul's description of, of what leaders are in First uh, Timothy chapter 3. he talks about a person, a man who, who, who manages his house well, who leads his house well, and it's a very fatherly tone. It's a very gentle, humble, but firm uh, saying, this is, this is, I love you, and so this is the way we, we need to go. There's this leadership he calls us to. He um, says, look for that. Uh, that's a challenge to us, anyone who has a title of leadership, but it's also appreciate that, acknowledge that, know that, see that when it's happening, and, and, and give thanks to God for it. And so the final thing he says, there's this loving discipline. Uh, There's those who admonish you. That word admonish isn't a word that feels good when it happens to you, but it's a word that makes you better. Right. Whenever, if you've ever been a coach or you've you've ever been a teacher or a leader or any kind of thing, and you're trying to motivate people to be better, that's the word admonish. It's the idea: look, uh, hey, I love you. I've already looked at the first two things. I'm working hard for you. I love you. I I want us to be our best for best for God here. But in order for that to happen, we need to be challenged. We need to be admonished in some things that maybe we're, we're walking wrongly in, or some things that we're not doing so well in our life. And so, when I was thinking about this this weekend. One of the things that just struck me as is, is I, I walk through this passage is the idea that, that Church membership isn't something that really is mentioned in the Bible, but when you think of what it means to be a member of a church, this is very much that relationship that being a member of a church is really all about. It's about people who are trying to lead for Jesus and people who who are following for Jesus, and and there's that cycle of health that, hey, our leaders are looking to Jesus, they're following Jesus, we're glad to follow them because they're helping us to become more like Jesus, and that's what this is all about. And so we haven't uh, had a decision Sunday for a while, Um, and so I thought it would be healthy the week after Easter for us on December 28th, I think there's a slide up there, that that when we meet with folks in our no-luncheon, which is a great time for us to begin to walk through a lot of this, what I'm going to share here in in a greater detail, we have a chance to walk through uh, some of our folks who are new and say, Hey, this is what we are about as a church. And if you would like to be a member here, this is what we would ask of you things that the Bible is asking of you. Uh, things like a surrendered life to Jesus, that being a member of a church begins and ends with Jesus. It's about, Hey, we're here to represent Him, to live for Him, and to be with other people who are going to help us live for Him, minister for Him, serve Him. Uh, a shared belief. Uh, it's important that you know what we believe. And, and I can't go through all of that today, but I have a uh, Packet of flyers that we get out here. I'm going to leave right here. And if this is something that's interested to you on the 28th to be a member here, I'd encourage you to swing by and grab one of those on the way out today and take a look at that. And call us if you have questions. Let us know. We'd be glad to dialogue with you about that. Uh, Being a member of a church means having a service mindset. It's not for me. I'm here to serve Jesus, and I'm here to serve Jesus' people and the community in which I live. Um, It's not. It's. It's about having a sincere love for the church body, which is exactly where Paul is going next in First Thessalonians. It's about the supportive leadership, and and it's about what Paul is talking about here that we're all striving to work together for good and for God and sharing resources and so that's a longer conversation but if those are things that you look at and you said I've been hanging around here for a while and I would I like this church and I would like to make this my home but what I would like to do in becoming a member is saying I'd like to put myself under a group of people who are going to to love me, who are going to lead me, and they're going to admonish me, they're going to hold me accountable to live my life for Jesus, then then we would invite you to consider that. Uh, give us a call. We would love to talk with you about that uh, on, on the 28th to uh, to make this your church home. But also, if you've been just kind of hanging around here and you've, you've never done that first step in surrendering to Jesus and in putting your faith in Him and, and trusting Him and confessing Him as your Lord, being baptized into Him, uh, that would be a great day to do that, that step as well in your life. And so that... The whole conversation kind of just let me just think, this is a good time for us to think about that as, as we walk through this letter. As you look at this letter of what a, a beautiful congregation that Paul is striving to encourage and, and work together with, I think that's in a healthy way what it means to be a member of a church. So I recognize, hey, I need to be loved and helped when I'm struggling, but I also need to be challenged when I'm beginning to wander astray. And I, I need that in my life. And so I want this to be my church home for those reasons. All right? And so the first thing I want you to see There's just this simple idea that, hey, see those leaders, know those leaders, respect those guys that are working hard, but implied in that text is, hey, leaders, make sure you're doing these things too. There's this cycle of health that that good leaders are pushing the church in the right direction that honors, and they're growing in Christ, and they're helping The potential of the church to be realized for Jesus. All right. The second thing Paul says is in verses fourteen and fifteen. He says this. He kind of looks to those who are kind of leading, and the next group of thing is kind of those who are lagging behind a little bit. He says, "Love the stragglers who need you." Just like in any healthy or any family, there are those who are probably out front leading, who are helping us to get somewhere. In every family, in every situation, in every group of people, there are those who, who, for whatever reason, seem to be lagging behind, um, the stragglers. Um, He says this in verses fourteen and fifteen. There's three, several different groups of people that he that maybe fit into this stragglers category in Paul's mind. He says this, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. That word unruly is a military term that if everybody's marching in in uniform together, we're marching together and and somebody begins to wander off on their own path to do their own thing instead of walking in uniformity. That's the idea of unruly. It's that military person to break ranks, to get out of line. Um, that word uh, idle is just the idea of being lazy. Maybe other places in this letter, we've seen that Paul warned people who were just taking advantage of the goodness and the kindness of other people, not working, as in Second Thessalonians he's gonna talk about, if they don't work, they don't eat kind of thing. So encourage these people to get with it. They're capable, they can do this. They don't need to just be living off the goodness and kindness of other people, so let them work. And so there's an, there's an encouragement, there's a, a warning. to Say, hey, come on, let's, let's get back in, in line together. And he goes on in that next phrase to talk about... Um, to encourage the disheartened, the dishearted, or the faint-hearted. Um, that word faint-hearted literally means to be small of soul. It's that idea of, of just a person, for whatever reason, they're struggling and life is hard. And in, in the Greek Old Testament, this word refers to discouragement that comes through the trials of life. And doesn't life do that to us sometime? We all find ourselves in this category. And the beauty of a good, healthy family is that we work f- to encourage one another in that So Paul could be referring to those maybe who were shaken, had their faith shaken because of the persecution that has happened in this church. Maybe he's talking about those who were anxious about worrying about Christ's return or they've lost loved ones. We've seen that in this letter. Maybe it could be those who were overwhelmed with problems. Maybe it's those who shrink before persecution, who have fallen under temptation or those who are facing trials at home or at work or in their schools or in their jobs and it's just having a hard time of it. And Paul says, hey, look around church family. Encourage them. The third thing he says is help the weak. To help the weak. The word weak can talk about physical weakness or mental weakness or emotional weakness or spiritual weakness. This group of people is 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 a step beyond faint hearted. Not only are they, they faint, but they're they're really struggling. They're completely run out of gas. Like my van was almost out of gas after that day. Right? They're almost out of gas. And they're the ones who are exhausted, they are burned out, they are wrung out, they are worn out they're morally and spiritually and physically drained and they just need uh, a brother or sister to step into their life. And so he encourages the church to help the weak. And finally, he, he finishes it with just the beautiful little words and, and be patient with everyone, right? If you try to do these things, what's the, you're gonna find yourself struggling, aren't you? If you try to deal with somebody who's a little out of line or, or helping somebody who's maybe weak and it just doesn't seem like they're, they're coming along like you hope they would, you're gonna come to a place where you say, you know what? Is this worth it? And what's going to keep you in the task is patience. That the same patience that I hope God shows to me when I find myself out of line or unruly or disheartened or, or weak, the same way that I hope God would be patient with me when I struggle is the same patience that Paul encourages us to say, hey, um, those of you who, who all have your act together, quote unquote, and, and just be patient with one another. There's a patience as we work together uh, to grow into what God wants us to be. And finally, he says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. I'm sure in the context of, of some of these struggles that he's talking about, people had been offended. People had been hurt. People had been Wrong to each other. And so he says, hey, in the course of all of this, make sure that you make it a point not to allow yourself to be a revenge seeker. Be a grace giver. Uh, try dig, dig down deep, dig into your relationship with God to find the grace to keep showing that, hey, this isn't about in the body of Christ. We ought to be grace givers more than we need to be uh, retaliation seekers. And so he encourages us. I love what Proverbs 19, verse 11 says. ties in with one of our, our uh, Lenten luncheons we had earlier this this last month, I guess it was. Um, Art Walker from the Assembly God Church shared the devotion for one of our Thursday luncheons that we had. And, and he talked about the time when Jesus um, was... Uh, traveling through and he wanted to go through Samaria and he sent disciples ahead to this village in Samaria and they they said we don't want Jesus Jesus can't come here and so when the word got back to the disciples that this Samaritan village is closed to Jesus remember what James and John did hey hey Jesus how about we call fire down from heaven and we just completely obliterate this city like Sodom and Gomorrah and James and John are all ready for to be revenge seekers and we're going to destroy this old wicked Samaritan city and you know what Jesus said no it's okay we're just going to do this. We're going to go to the next city. He didn't allow himself to be offended, even though he had been personally rejected and, and hurt. He just said, you know what? Closed door. Let's just go to the next one. And just that really struck me and encouraged me to think about how do I respond when when I feel like I have been wounded or or I lack patience or maybe frustrated with myself or with others. And how do we respond to that? I love what Proverbs 19 says, 1911 says, it is to one's own glory to overlook an offense. It's a God-like thing. It's a God-glorifying thing when I have the grace to overlook an offense. And so if we're going to pursue this part of the ministry that Paul talks about, certainly we need that grace to love the stragglers that are around us. Finally, the next third one, third one is this. He talks about rejoice in the Lord who loves you. And so those first two are kind of, this is how we deal with each other, but how am I going to find the patience? Where am I going to find the grace to be able to keep giving grace? Well, maybe it's frustrating and hard. I think it's this. I rejoice in the Lord who loves me. In you, That I'm gonna receive something from God when I do the three things that Paul says in verses 16 through 18, when I choose to find joy, when I continue to pray, and when I continually give thanks instead of grumbling for things. I'm gonna find this inner strength, an inner life that's gonna be poured into me that I'm gonna be able to pour out in the lives of other people. So what is this joy? Is it just a plastic fake smile? Um, what is this? Pray continually. Are we just because, be, supposed to become monks and, and pray 24 hours a day? What's he talking about? What is he talking about when he says to give thanks in all things? Is, is it one of those things Well, uh, that we just find these shallow things to give thanks for? What is he talking about? I think what he's really talking about in, in verses 16 and 18 is just simply what happens when you are known and you are loved by your Creator and your Redeemer, Heavenly Father. And when you are living in relationship with him, all of a sudden you find this joy that is not this superficial happiness thing that our world is chasing. You find this deep joy that is rooted in something that has nothing to do with this world, that knows you are loved, you are cared for, you have a future, you have a presence, your past is forgiven. There's this joy that just comes from knowing God and being known by God. And so there's this deeper joy. And so what's this whole pray continually thing? I love the metaphor that one of the commentators I read talked about, that, that the word for this pray continually is the picture, it was used in non-biblical culture of, of a nagging cough, right? We've all had the cold or something this, this winter and you've had that cough that kind of lingers for like six months and it won't go away. It's that nagging cough that just continues to go on and on. Everybody needs to cough right now because I said cough, so somebody's gonna cough. So everybody just <laughs> get it over with. But we're gonna cough, right? But that nagging cough that will not go away and so that's what Paul says when he says, pray continually. So it's not this ongoing thing, but just throughout your day, when you least expect it, it just be, a, be, a, be a, a prayer. And it's just this conversational thing that knows that God is always there. And so if I'm going about my work, I can be thinking about talking to God, maybe about something that's going on. I'm in school, I'm at work, I'm at church, I'm at home, I'm by myself, I'm with others. God is only a prayer away. It's that ongoing dialogue between a child and, his, and their heavenly father. And he says, Uh, Last, but give thanks. Choosing gratefulness, there's always something. If Christ is your Savior and your Lord, there is always something to be thankful for. Maybe I don't give thanks for the things that I'm going through, but there's always something to be thankful for in the midst of it. And all you got to do is read Jesus, read Paul, the persecutions they face. But yet, what do you find, Paul? Even just before he came to Thessalonica, he had been jailed and imprisoned in Philippi. And you remember the story, what's he doing after he's been beaten, thrown in the shackles, left in prison, midnight? What's he doing? He's giving thanks. God, thank you that I can suffer like Jesus suffered me. God, thank you that I'm not alone in this. God, thank you for the ways you're going to work this out in ways I don't even understand right now. God, I can give thanks and I can worship you because you're bigger than this. So even through the really hard things, there's, there's a thankfulness that Jesus being in your life brings. And so rejoice in the Lord who loves you because when you do that, it begins to change your attitude. And so how do you be patient with people that are hard to be patient with? It's, it's about this, hey, God, you're, look at what you're doing in my life. And I'm going to find the resources through that to be patient or, or to, to be a better leader or to serve well the people that are around me. And finally, number four, um, Where does this all come from? How does this work in our life? He he gets to this. Depend on the spirit that empowers you is the last thing. Depend on the spirit that empowers you. There's just this encouragement in verses 19 through 22 that Paul encourages us and and he uses this, this quench metaphor. I love that picture there. Actually, it scares me, actually, as I read that word. Do not quench the spirit. What's that mean? That, that's the idea of a fire, right? Or a thirst, one of the two. You can pick either one. It's the idea of a fire. The Holy Spirit is oftentimes pictured as, as a fire in the Bible, a fire that brings light, a fire that brings heat, a fire that brings energy to our life and energizes us to become what God wants us to be. And so God has pictured us through the Spirit to say, hey, I want to ignite your life and I want to warm your life, light, life and I want to illuminate it. And I want you to become what I want you to be. But when we either choose to live in sin or we choose to to squelch what God wants us to be with one another, or if we don't listen to God's word, which I really think is the context of this phrase, what's the picture there? It's the idea of putting a lid on the fire or throwing water on the fire. It's the idea of quenching it, putting out something that wants to be large and consuming, but we quench it. Um, we, We diminish its effects or we squelch it completely. And so he encourages us to realize that there's a Holy Spirit who wants to be at work in your life to help you, but the warning is, don't quench the spirits. And so he goes on to talk about, talk about, what's that mean? Well, that means we need to listen clearly to God. He says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good and reject every kind uh, that's 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 bad and so this whole idea is is this picture of prophecies what's that mean prophecies are, are simply that someone who speaks for God says I've got a message from God and he says hey we should be quick to receive that but we also should be discerning just because someone claims to speak for God doesn't mean that their words match up with scripture doesn't mean that they're they're there to, to edify for Christ those that hear it doesn't mean that that uh, that do other believers or is there a community of, of fellowship that believes that does the person with the prophecy present it humbly? so we're called to be discerning in this passage as well, but we're also called to be good listeners, to hear, to process, to think biblically, to think holy and to think godly and to accept that which is really good. And if it's, if it's wrong, just to reject it, to put it aside. And so God gives in this passage, Paul gives in this passage, these, this description of a spiritually healthy family that is my prayer for us today that we would respect leaders who guide you, that we would love the stragglers who need you, that we would rejoice in the Lord who loves you, and that we would depend on the Spirit who empowers you. So how does the church measure up to that? As we go through life, the devil is always on the attack. We may be good one moment, but the devil's always lurking around, seeking to blow something up and to cause trouble, to cause division, to cause strife. And so Paul, I think, in Ephesians 4, um, encourages us with this, with these words: that make every effort to keep the unity. uh, If you go to the next one, if you would, that make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's an effort that we have to make to make this happen in our life. And so I would just simply go back and my prayer for us here today as we finish First Thessalonians and, and kind of think about well, what, what is uh, this day in which uh, the work's gonna celebrate next week. What is the difference does that make for us in, in the resurrection of Jesus? I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse one. We read it a few weeks ago. As Brother mothers, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. That's the heart's desire that we want is to please Him. as in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So you may think, "Well, I've done doing all right, but the heart of a God-pleasing person is God more and more. Let me love more, let me respect more, let me know more, let me let the Spirit work in my life more and more so that I am transformed into more and more of the image of Jesus. And so that's my prayer for us as we leave this beautiful little book behind and uh, just, we'll just go back to where we began. this ordinary saint's idea. I don't think we have preached any sermon in this series that is above the pay grade of any regular believer in Jesus God calls us to live this beautiful life of just an ordinary faith, of ordinary people, loving ordinary people, in ordinary circumstances. And yet God does beautiful things through that. And so may we be uh, the beautiful, ordinary saints that God is calling us to be.